Thank you, Zach, and you who lead us. It's wonderful. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Ruth and I are glad to be back. We've spent several days in Washington, D.C. We walked 39.8 miles, and it almost killed us. But we're back. We're alive. We're here. We missed you. It's good to see you. It's good to be back in the Lord's house. Now, we have a difficult message today. Ruth and I have been discussing this. Um, we're going to talk about a word that's not used very much in the English language. It's the word meek. Um, and the, the word that we're going to look at today, that's the heart of the, the sermon, is the word meek. You're going to have other translations in your Bible, but we'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. But there are two passages that are, are vital, integral to this concept. One is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and the other is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus is speaking in both passages. We're going to juxtaposition them. We'll study them and see uh, if you can come to a better understanding. I think you'll be blessed by the message. Ruthie? Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am meek and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Notice two passages about how to find contentment in life. What you want in life is you want to live in this world and enjoy its things and its stuff, and that's the way God created things. God made the earth for us to enjoy. And the question is, how can we do that? How can we best enjoy what the Lord has given to us as a gift? Well, notice in two passages... Jesus in the Matthew 11 passage says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Learn from me. And what do you learn from him? That I am meek. Then, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, to a Jew, when Jesus said they shall inherit the earth, there was no question as to what he was talking about. To the Jews, Palestine, Israel, that little piece of property on this planet, that was their way of knowing that God meant for them to enjoy his blessings. God had given them this land where they could enjoy the things of God, water, food, family, all the things that we love he could do. So here he is in one passage saying, this is the way to find rest and joy and gladness. And here is the way to enjoy what God has given you. And the common thing is 
Who are these people that can enjoy both? Who are these people that can do that? They are the meek. Now notice the progression that the Lord has given us. First of all, the first beatitude was blessed are the poor in spirit. That's people who cannot, that they know they cannot save themselves. They know they cannot win the victory in their own lives. They know that they have no merit. They are just poor when it comes to spiritual things. Then because of that, the second beatitude, blessed are they that mourn. In other words, since you do not have the strength to live the Christian life, since you cannot do it and your life is filled with so much failure, therefore you are sad. You mourn over this and you're sad over the sin in the land and the people around you. But now Jesus says, now we turn a little bit, and he says, okay, if you have poverty of spirit, if you know you cannot help yourself, if you are sad about that fact you mourn, then you can become meek. Now, in your translations, there are lots of different translations for the word that is translated meek in the old King James. Most of you have the word gentle. Some of you have the word humble. Some have the word submissive. And those are all good translations, but let me tell you what those are. Those are interpretations of what the word actually means. In other words, you know what the word means. Well, what part of that meaning was Jesus talking about? I want to go back to the original meaning of the word. And you'll see why that it's not easy to translate. The word meek referred to an animal that had been domesticated. The word meek referred to a tamed spirit. So when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, he was saying, congratulations to you whose lives are yielded, who are submissive, whose lives are controlled. Now, I want to say self-controlled, and I will use the word self-controlled throughout this message, but that really is is a wrong statement, but I'm going to use it in a culturally uh, useful way. When we say self-control, we mean we control ourselves. I have the ability to stop my smoke and do this. I can do this because I work hard. I can do it. That is not what I mean by meek and by self-control. What this passage means is blessed are those who are God-disciplined, who are self-controlled because God is doing a work in them. Uh, For many years, I would preach sort of like this. Now, if you're going to be, I'll give you an example. If, I, if you're going to be a better husband, you do this, 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 and this. And finally it dawned on me, that's sheer legalism. For me to stand up and say, for you to be a better person, you do this, you do this, you do this. That's telling you that you have the strength to do it on your own. And that is not true. You do not have the strength to do it on your own. You do not have the power. So what I started doing in the later years was... I said, okay, if you're going to be a better husband, you do this, but you cannot do it by yourself. You do this, but it takes a miracle of God. You do this. I took the emphasis off of what you can do and put it on where God can do for you. Now, that's what it means to be meek. It means that God has taken control of my life, that God is disciplining me, and therefore I have self-control, not because I have the ability to do it, but because God is disciplining me himself. So I'll use the term self-control, but make sure you understand that it is God-control working on me, not something that I produce. And so to be a good Christian means that every impulse, every passion of your life, every motive is under the control of Jesus. See, this is the only way that you can know you're poor in spirit. 
And the only way that you can know that you really mourn over your sin. You see, it's possible for you to know that you cannot help yourself. It's possible for you to be so sad for your failure and do nothing about it. The only way that you can know if you are truly being what God wants you to be, that your poverty of spirit and your mourning is exactly what God wants it to be, is because you are also meek. You are also self-controlled. If you're not God-disciplined, self-controlled, then the other is just useless. It's not helping you. The most successful Christians are those who listen to that passage that Ruthie read. Jesus said, learn from me. And what did he say? He did not say, learn from him how to be smart, how to organize a political system, how to build big buildings, how to succeed financially or vacationally. He said, learn from me how to be meek, how to be self-controlled. You see, the crowd, they wanted to enjoy the things of God. They wanted to, to enjoy what God meant for Israel to have. They wanted to inherit the earth. And to inherit means to receive, to enjoy. They wanted that. But they hated the fact that the Romans were in charge of their land. They felt the Romans were depriving them of their liberties, of their freedoms. They felt the Romans were cheating them what God meant for them to have. And so Jesus is looking at them and saying to them, now listen to me. You want to inherit the earth. You want joy in life and you want contentment. And you believe that it can be brought to you politically. You believe that it is something outside of you. You believe that something has to happen out here in the world for you to be able to inherit the earth, to enjoy the world as I meant for you to enjoy it. He's saying, no, the battle is never outside you. The battle is always inside. The battle of life is whether you can control yourself under the power of the Holy Spirit. Only then can you enjoy life as God meant for you to enjoy it. Now, before we proceed, let me make sure you don't misunderstand me in defining meekness. Self-control is not stoicism. It's not suppressing all your emotions. I, uh, Mr. Spock is not one of our heroes. We don't, we don't look around and say, you know, live long and prosper. I've always wanted to wish I could split my fingers like that, but I never could. Because I do like him as an actor. But that's not what we are supposed to be. Nor is our goal to be like the Buddhist teaching in Nirvana. The Buddhists teach that the afterlife is no feeling at all. No emotion, no desire, therefore never disappointed. The Muslim is just the opposite. Theirs is all the physical, fleshly appetites you can ever dream of. So you have the one over here, no desires, all desire. The Christian understanding is somewhere in the middle. We don't try to squelch our emotions. Like, for instance, uh, you, you eat too much for breakfast, and you know you've eaten more than you should eat for the whole day, so what do you do? You say, I'm not going to eat one more bite the rest of the day. Let me know how that works for you. That's not how we deal with it. That is not what it means to be meek, to be self-controlled. We don't suppress our urges and our desires. Our Lord, Jesus, He cried. He got angry. He felt pity. He felt pain. He knew how to enjoy Himself at a wedding feast. Jesus was a young, single adult male who experienced the full gamut of feelings and so he says to you, now you learn about me. You learn from me how to be self-controlled, how to be God-disciplined. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, emotions and urges are God-given. They're normal. Any desire that you have is a normal God-given desire. Trouble comes when you try to suppress it. 
or you let the devil hyperextend it. He takes it too far. The Christian lives in the middle and you let God cut things off at the right intensity. Now, you want me to tell you when's right and what's wrong. Now, now, when I was a young preacher, I used to preach. Uh, in fact, by the way, you should have hired me back when I knew everything. You really, you really should have. For years, I preached it was a sin to go to an R-rated movie. I mean, I preached it and I thundered it. And I, you know why I preached that? Because that makes the Christian life easier. It gives you a line. It gives you a rule. People want a rule. See, it's easier for you if somebody says to you, well, if you will do this, 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 and this, you'll be a good Christian. Like, for instance, I read the whole Bible every year. Forty-two years in a row, I've read the whole Bible. And so my tendency is to say, if you really love God, you're going to read the whole Bible every year. See, why, why would I say that? Because that's easy. That makes it easy for somebody to say, well, well, that's a line. I can draw that. I can do that. I now understand that's not the way the Christian life is. The Christian life is, you know the parameters, you know the laws of God, but you've got a lot of freedom in here, and you have to determine where the line is. You have to determine where God comes in and disciplines, and this is where you have self-control. You see, not to have self-control is easy because you have an old sin nature. You have a body of sin in you. You have a natural you. And you have to be so careful because if you give in to your natural urges, it's easy to live a life of excess. But the believer, the Christ follower, who is pleasing God is one who has learned every impulse, everything in life must be under God's control. Now, when I say everyone, I mean literally, but I'm going to give you five examples. I believe I have found five examples if you'll take those five and apply them to all 20 areas of your life, all the different mainstreams of your life, I think you'll see where this comes in, all right? So let's look at just five and see what it means to be meek and inherit the earth so we can enjoy life and enjoy what God has given us. And then what does it mean to be meek like Jesus? Five of them. Are you ready? Here we go. Write these down, okay? Now, if you don't have a piece of paper, write them on your sleeve. It's Okay. Maybe your launderer will get saved because of that. Write it on your sleeve. If you don't have a sleeve, write it on your neighbor's hand. All right, here we go. Five of them. Number one, meekness, God-discipline, self-control means victory over our lot in life, our attitude toward our lot in life. Jesus himself, he shows us what it means to live life. He came and he suffered and he was life was difficult for him, but finally he was able to say, not my will, but thine be done. Now listen, folks, now listen to me. Because you are a Christ follower does not mean life's going to be any easier for you. When Adam fell, we all fell. All of the world fell. Your children will die in auto accidents. Your parents will get sick and die young. You will have marriage trouble. You will have trouble raising your children. You do not have any immunity from any of the troubles and problems of life. And to be meek, to be under God's control, means you never become bitter about that. You have to be so careful. The spirit of Jonah, he blurted out to God, I do well to be angry even to death. And God reprimanded him for that. Elijah, running away from Jezebel, says to the Lord, let me die. 
Well, you know, if he really meant let me die, he could have just stayed where Jezebel was. He wouldn't have had to run away. And the Lord would have no use to that. He wouldn't have anything about that. You must learn that at some point you give yourself unto the Lord and you yield yourself to him. I do not say that God causes everything that happens in our lives. I think, I think that's, a, that's a statement that's too strong. But I think it's also dangerous to say that, that things are just happening to us by chance. Like, for instance, God chose who your parents would be. God chose what kind of personality you would have. God chose what you would look like. God determined much about your life. So sometimes it's hard to know the difference between cause and effect and what's going on in life. But this is what we know. No matter what happens, you must be willing to say, I will not be bitter. I will keep my anger under control, my self-pity. I, I will avoid this bitterness. I'm not going there by the help of God. Now, I had to learn this the hard way. I am a sixth-generation preacher. I'm a descendant of a Methodist circuit writer whose son became a Baptist preacher in the Civil War. So I've been surrounded by preachers my whole life. When I was young, started preaching at age 15, I had the privilege of having a father, the godliest man I've ever known, who taught me the ways of the ministry. He told me to look out for power, money, and sex. He said those are the three things that kill preachers. Power, money, and sex. So I built into my life things that safeguarded those areas. I was always safe. I never had a problem in any of those areas in all of my 51 years of ministry. But there was one thing. That daddy did not prepare me for. And that was a controversy with God. When our grandson was born with severe autism. Severe. My grandson is now 19 years old. He is severely autistic. Severely. Ruthie and I give three 10-hour days a week just to care for him. To try to help our family. I had to fight that one. I never got angry with God. I never shook my fist at God. But, but you, you can't help but wake up in the night and say, Lord, we're six generations of preachers. We've worked hard and we've given you our all. And what is happening here? So we never ask why out of anger. But sometimes we ask why. What do you want us to learn from it? Where do you want us to go with it? I had to come to the place that I would just say to the Lord what my master said, not my will but thine be done. That's what it means to be meek. To be God-disciplined. Self-control. Number two. Meekness. Being God-disciplined. Being self-controlled. Entails victory over our attitudes toward others. Uh, Jesus hanging on a cross. Dying. Looks down and sees soldiers gambling for his garments. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was always elevating others. No jealousy. The person in your life that you envy, young people, college students, the person or student that you envy every time they win or do something that they get a lot of uh, honor for, you be the first to congratulate them. That's what it means to be a Christian. The difference between a saved and a lost person is when somebody else is promoted above. The saved person says, yay, way to go. That's what it means to be meek, to be God-disciplined. Only God can do that in your heart. You must forgive your enemies and others who wrong us 
heard the story of a lady whose family had gathered around her and, and she hated somebody most of her adult life. And her family was pleading with her to forgive this other person. And they said, would you forgive her? They asked her in her deathbed, would you forgive her now? And she answered, I cannot forgive though I go to hell. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, um, the church I grew up in, the church where I've told you about that they would pray so hard over lost people, you'd hear the groans, they'd just be moaning and groaning over lost people. One of the men that they prayed for for years was a man named Henry Roan. And the night that Henry Roan showed up at church unannounced and came forward, only maybe 30 or 40 in my dad's church, I grew up in a small church, maybe 30 or 40 there that night, well, when Henry Roan came forward, they all came forward. So they're all gathered around up here. This is a wonderful moment. And Daddy's down there trying to win him to Christ. And, and Henry cannot get peace no matter what. And finally, my daddy, who had been trying to win Henry the Lord for a long time, he remembered that Henry hated a man who had cheated him. Henry could not read or write. And one time, he trusted everything he had to a man, and the man cheated him. And here's my dad. There are all these people all around. They're all, yeah, you know, pray through. Pray through all that kind of thing. Daddy's down here with Henry. Henry's not getting peace. And finally, my dad says, Henry, can you forgive? He called the man by name. He knew he was. Can you forgive him? And Henry said, I can not. And my dad stood up. He said, Henry, you cannot be saved. If you're not willing to forgive him. And Henry looked at my daddy and said. If I cannot be saved. Without forgiving him. Then I forgive him now. And he was saved. It was a great moment. You commit your life to Your attitude toward others must be God discipline. Self control. Number three. Meekness, God-discipline, self-control entails victory over our anger. Now, I could have picked a lot of things. Why did I pick anger? Because anger is the number one, number one problem in churches. Pride and anger. that manifests itself by anger. That's what really hurts us. Jesus taught us. He said, learn about me what it means to be self-disciplined. Learn from me about anger. Jesus never got angry for himself. He always was angry only for God and only for others. Very important. He didn't get mad about him. You get all blown up. You get blown up out of shape. Somebody says something to you hurts you. Jesus never got angry over that. Always he was angry for God when he cleansed the temple. It's a good example. And he was angry for others when the religious leaders did not want him to heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. Then, once the anger comes, the purpose of anger, it's a God-given gift. The purpose of anger is to cause you to do something. You, you are to respond in a certain way. But then, once you respond, you've got to stop the anger. The anger's done. The anger stimulates, but then you've got to end it. This is where so many parents go wrong in raising their children. They get angry, which is okay, but then they carry the anger through the punishment, and that's wrong. You're angry. You need to do something. That's not right. You can say, we got to stop this, okay? That's good. Now calm down and do something about it. Don't push the anger through the punishment. Anything that you can do in anger, you can do just as well out of anger. 
Martin Luther, he was successful in the Reformation because he had a, a large number of princes who gathered around him and protected him. Basically, it was like an army gathered around him. They had to save his life. And, and one of the most important ones was a man named Frederick. He was the Duke of Saxony. But Frederick had a terrible anger problem. And as he drew closer, closer to the Lord, he knew this about himself. He understood this about himself. So what he would do is when he could feel anger building in him, he had a room, a special room. And when the anger would build in him, he would go into the room and he would close the door and he would stay there until the anger passed. I've always liked that story. You you need to slow down the anger. You need to especially slow down your lips. Leave angry thoughts unverbalized. One of the worst lies of hell is this one. I might as well say it as think it. That is so satanic, I don't even know how to grab a hold of it. You need to control your anger by the power of God. Number four, meekness, God-discipline, self-control entails victory over our ambitions, what we want to do in life, what we want to accomplish. You hear me talk often about Jesus came among us. The Bible says he emptied himself, and so he became a human. He was the second person of the Trinity became human, and to his human life, we give the name Jesus, he emptied himself. There's another part of that verse, though. It's in Philippians chapter 2. There's another part of that verse. It says, first of all, before he emptied himself, he says he did not think that equality with God was something he should clutch. In other words, he disciplined his aspiration. His ambition, rather than clutch, being equal with God, he let it go, became human, submitted himself to us and to our terribleness, and then he left it to the Father to decide when he would be re-enthroned at the Father's right hand. Meekness, when you are God-disciplined, self-controlled, you don't demand your rights, you're not looking for privileges, you don't push your status you hold your ego under control there are many of you who have much of your life under control but you are living under the influence of the evil one in your area of ambitions and you say pastor how can you know that how can you even say it? i can say it because you have a witness against you in your own house in your own life your calendar i submit to you There are many of you who do not see your spouse often enough because of your ambition. Some of you put, your children put themselves to bed at night because of your ambition. Look at your calendar. Is your ambition under control? Are you meek? God-disciplined? Self-controlled? Five. Meekness, being God-disciplined. Self-control means victory over our appetites. Sex only in marriage. No pornography. Food only in reasonable portions. No extended credit card debt. Nothing wrong with credit card debt, but you don't let it get out of hand. Cars and houses we can afford. Ruthie and I, through the years, made it a habit to buy cars at least three years old because in America... Uh, the, the rental companies dump their cars at the third year. Therefore, the price of cars goes down pretty dramatically at year three. We've always done that through the years. 
I was taught John Bassanio, pastor of First Baptist Church Houston when I was a teenager, always said, if you're going to live life successfully, you're going to enjoy life, you need to live on 80% of your income, give God 10% and save 10%. Ruthie and I have lived by that rule. We've lived on 80% of our income. We've given God way more than 10%. And we save 10% through always giving that amount to our annuities and our retirement. Now, why do we live like that? What makes us want to make those decisions? Jesus said, learn from me. Learn from my self-control. Did anybody ever live a simpler life than Jesus? The foxes have holes. The birds have nests. But the Son of God had no place to lay his head. Abraham subdued his passion, his desire for wealth. When it was obvious that he and Lot could not get along, he went up on a hill and he said, Now, Lot, you take what you want, and I'll take what's left. The sweetest victories of life, as we come to the last thought now, listen, stay with me now. You've listened so attentively, thank you. The sweetest victories in life are the ones over our own self. When we deny ourselves, we prove we truly love the Lord. My greatest accomplishments have not been my professional attainments, and I have succeeded. I went to the top of my profession with the help of God. It's all it's grace, grace, all of grace. I know that. I married a woman who stood beside me and cheered me and, and made it possible. But none of those things that I was able to accomplish have ever compared in my heart of hearts to my victories over myself. My victory over excessive anger, pride, God had to take care of that, took care of that when I was 35 years old. That's another story into itself. Overcoming depression, not that depression is a sin. It was not the sin. The sin was my unwillingness to deal with it. Ending profanity. In the third grade, my family moved to the slums of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I learned how to cuss and fight when I was in the third grade. I could curse like a sailor before I was a teenager. It was such a serious habit in my life. I didn't even know I was doing it. And I had several friends I was close to. And I said, you're going to have to help me. And so I'd have them hit me every time I said a curse word. And that's how the Lord helped me overcome profanity. My wife, my children have never heard me use a curse word. But you and I, we know of instances where people, as they get old, they begin to lose their mind. The dementia sets in and Alzheimer's. And words come out. And those words are still in me. The old nature is still there. And I pray it does not happen. But, at least till right now, at age 66, God gave me victory over that. He curbed my eating habits. 40, uh, 14 years ago, I had two heart attacks and a stroke. I, was 50, I weighed 50 pounds more. 50 pounds more than I do now. And there are some days that I want to eat the doorknob. There are just some days... The fact that I can get through a day 
and do okay. It is an absolute as much a miracle as if an angel walked into this room and sang for us. The ambitions, God had to take care of the ambitions. The schedule being under control. All of it, all of it, all of it has been such a struggle. And it continues to this moment right now. My greatest frustration is my being upset at my own self. Because my old nature is strong. The sinful man in me is still there. The old nature is still after me. In fact, my old sin nature is so strong that when they bury my body, the worm that eats my body is going to get indigestion. This is a never-ending battle now. Now listen to me. We're done. Listen, listen, listen. Remember the context that Jesus put this in? Enjoyment. Inherit the earth. <laughs> Come unto me that labor and are heavy laden. This is the way to enjoy what God has given us. This is it. This is it. I submit for you. I submit to you that the most miserable people you know, and it might be you, I submit to you that the most miserable people you know, whether rich or poor, young or old, are that way because there's some area in their life where they are not meek. Where they are not God-disciplined, self-controlled. Okay, I think that's enough. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and do business with God. You ready? Let's do business with God. Now, where does the message meet you? May I walk back through them again? Your appetites. Your ambitions. How is your schedule? Your anger. Some of you came in this room this morning 